Welcome to the Today is a Good Day podcast, a podcast to bring you a new point of support as you navigate your NICU journey. Today is a Good Day is here to be a part of your conversations, whether your baby was born prematurely, has special needs, or if your family is grieving a loss. The voices you will hear on the Today is a Good Day podcast are personal stories from people who have been there. Please don't forget to hit subscribe and leave us a review on your favorite podcast listening app. On this episode, we will speak with Stephanie Carton, joining us remotely. She is a fellow NICU mom, CEO of SocialFly, and co-host of the Entrepreneurista podcast. You will hear Stephanie discuss her journey, reflecting on years of struggling to conceive, learning that she and her husband were expecting twins, and how they navigated the ups and downs of loss and joy in the NICU. Stephanie will share her biggest lessons learned and how to best advocate for yourself in the medical setting. And we'll also discuss how family and friends can support someone through different stages of the journey to become pregnant, loss, and a NICU stay. Stephanie, welcome. We're excited to have you remotely here with us. Can you tell us a little bit about your family's story? Sure. And thank you so much for having me here to share my story and journey because through Everything that I've been through and my family has been through, it's just been so important to us to be able to share our experience, to be able to help other people. I've always found that you just have to find the good in everything that happens and do whatever we can to be able to help others. So thanks for having me to to share our journey. So where to begin? (laughs) We had quite the complicated um, journey to get pregnant and and stay pregnant um, from as far back as I can remember, I have always wanted to be a mom and to have a family. And I remember sharing with my husband early on, you know, even before we got married, I, I shared with him, you know, my biggest fear in life is not being able to get pregnant and not being able to have a family. There was just something inside of me that, you know, made me worry about actually being able to get pregnant because I did have a complicated medical history myself growing up. So, Uh, shortly after my husband and I got married, um, I decided that it would make sense to do genetic testing before we started trying to get pregnant, just to be sure everything seemed okay. And when we, I did the first round of genetic testing because typically it starts with the the woman and um, we found out I was a pre-mutation carrier of something called Fragile X. So at that time, we saw a genetic counselor and uh, Greg also did a round of genetic testing, and we didn't match for any of the same things. But the, the issue with the premutation carrier Fragile X is that it's only passed down from the mom. So it didn't matter if Greg matched for that or not. So at that point, the genetic counselor recommended we speak with a reproductive endo- endocrinologist to see if it would make sense just to start with IVF right away because we could do um, genetic testing and be sure we weren't going to pass down that gene. So we met with a doctor. I decided at that point, let's just try to get pregnant um, on our own without uh, any assistance. And, um, you know, we could always do early genetic testing once we do get pregnant. So we tried for about a year, a little over a year, I think, to get pregnant unsuccessfully. And then we went back to that same doctor and he was an interesting experience. He was like, oh, you're back. Like it was kind of like he was expecting us to be back here, which I remember didn't sit right with me. It didn't sit right with my husband, but we continued on. Um, and it was actually my first learning, um, going through the fertility process in 
doing research on the doctors that you're working with, I was just so, you know, desperate to get pregnant. And I had a friend who had been to this doctor and um, she had success. And I remember she told me like, she didn't really mesh with this personality, but he got the job done. So I just listened to a friend, went to that same doctor and, and didn't do my research. And I'll fast forward this story because I had quite a complicated um, uh, fertility journey, but we ended up switching doctors. Um, we, I found out that my entire uterine lining was covered in polyps. I had multiple procedures to remove them, found out I had something called chronic endometritis, which is an infection of the uterine lining. Did about six IUIs that were unsuccessful. So it was month over month of disappointment and more disappointment. We finally um, decided that we would do IVF. Started the IVF process in the summer of 2018. Um, had a successful uh, egg retrieval and then found out that I still had this infection. This infection was still lingering. So I did a lot of research, um, talked to other women who had been through similar experiences, some women who were going through that same experience and um, together found the right um, medication that I should be on, told my doctor what to put me on. He finally listened to me, and this is a new doctor now, and was able to clear the infection based on all of the research that I did. And then in October of 2018, we were finally ready to um, do our embryo transfer. So we ended up putting in one embryo, uh, and a few weeks later, we found out that the embryo had split. So we were expecting identical twin girls and I was obviously overwhelmed because you weren't expecting it, but I was so excited. I kept saying, oh my gosh, two for one, you know, we'd worked right. so hard to, to get pregnant and with all of this time and effort and energy. And I was like, you know what, maybe we just won't have to go through this again because we'll have our instant family. We'll have our two girls. Um, so we had some initial complications at the beginning of our pregnancy and um, had a lot of bleeding, was had to rush to the hospital and the doctor several times very early on. And then I had about two weeks during my pregnancy that everything was calm and normal. It was, I think it was week uh, 14 and week 15. And then at my 16 and a half week appointment, uh, we found out uh, during the early anatomy scan that we had something called twin to twin transfusion. And I still remember, I mean, that was those moments when the doctor comes in and starts telling you the most horrible news and something you obviously don't ever expect to hear or want to hear, it was just the most horrible, painful experience and um, extremely overwhelming. And you almost go into this, you know, like, I don't even know how to explain this, like panic shutdown mode in that moment, just trying to take everything in and listen to what the doctor's saying. So at our 16 and a half week appointment, it was our early anatomy scan. And that was the appointment when we found out we had something that was called twin to twin transfusion. And I remember going into that appointment so excited because I couldn't like every appointment is like, oh, I can't wait to see them. And they're getting bigger at each appointment. And when my doctor walked in because the, um, the tech does the scan and then my doctor had come in while the scan was happening and he actually wasn't supposed to be there that day. So I was like, I just knew instantly my heart sunk. I just knew something wasn't right. And that's when he shared with us, um, it looked like we had the early stages of something called twin to twin transfusion. And how, with the twin to twin transfusion, and I remember that from our personal journey of being pregnant with identical twin girls and, and our girls had started that as well. 
a little bit later on. We didn't have the opportunity to to catch that or try to work on that. But how did you work through those emotions going into that appointment, feeling so much joy, and then to hear that news for others going through that? How'd you get through it? Oh, gosh. I mean, that day, I just remember it was just such a whirlwind because we were in the um, the room where they do the scan. And then you get this horrible news and the doctor says, you know, get dressed and let's go talk in my in my office. So then brings us into this boardroom and my husband and I are just sitting there waiting for him to come in. And I just remember just being so, so confused. And the crazy part of that day also was I was supposed to leave from that appointment to go speak at a conference for MasterCard. So I was getting picked up from that appointment. So I'm saying to my doctor, I remember I was just in like shock, I think. I was like, oh, but I, I have to go right now. I have to go speak. And he's like, I don't think you should. Uh, right. I don't think you should be going it's, there right now. Those initial thoughts that come into your mind, right? Yes. It's just hard to process the reality of the moment. Because I didn't know. I remember when we found out we were expecting twins, they had to go through or the doctor did go through with us all the potential risks that could happen during the pregnancy. And I remember and this was a few weeks before, probably my 10 week appointment. I remember saying to him, oh, no, 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 no. Like, please don't tell us. I don't want to put any of that into the universe. I don't want to know anything about it. I didn't want to do any research ahead of time because I didn't want to know because that was not going to happen to us. And I'm still fine with how I handled that initially. I didn't want to know about it even right. then because I wanted to just be able to stay focused and stay positive and try to enjoy a pregnancy if possible. Mm -hmm. So um, we're now in this boardroom with him. And my whole focus is I'm telling my husband, they're picking me up to speak at this conference. Can you like, we have to call this woman and tell her that I can't come. Like I was just, I was just trying to problem solve that first. And I didn't even understand what it meant yet. Mm -hmm. I knew it was bad, but I didn't really know. So Greg handled that. He made a call. And then the doctor said, okay, I'm going to sit down and explain what all of this means. So then he starts explaining it. And I remember I kept asking him, like, can you repeat that again? Can you write this down? Can you repeat that again? Because for me, I know just in moments of overwhelm or panic, like I need things spelled out and written down for me because it's very hard to remember things. It is. It is. We talk with and, families all the time. Make sure you're journaling. Make sure you're writing yes. down the information that's shared with you. Yeah, write, write down everything or, you know, we all have our cell phones right. now, take notes on it, voice record. Um, I wish I had done more of that because sometimes you, you think you're going to remember mm -hmm. things. You don't, <laughs> you don't remember anything. So I remember, I think I was taking notes on my phone. He was like drawing diagrams, trying to explain what was going on. And then I just kept asking him like, okay, like, what are the options? Like, what can we do? Like, I'm just such a problem solver and that's how I am by nature. Um, so I was just trying to figure out like, how can we, how can we fix this? Like, how can we get to the bottom of this and how can we fix this? And, and what were your next steps? Did you, I know you talk about researching so much and I want to come back to that, but what, what did you do next? Yeah. So, um, after that appointment, because I do remember, I think it was that appointment. He said to us at that point, he's like, you know, one of the options is you can terminate one of the babies to save the to try to save the other baby. And like, he was ready to do that that day if we made that decision. And I'm like, whoa, <laughs> I'm not making something I've learned. And I talk about this a lot, like in business, any very important decision, you have to sleep on everything. Like mm -hmm. don't just jump into something. And just because a doctor is 
sharing something with you or different recommendations, it doesn't mean unless they tell you something has to be done in that moment because your life is in danger in that exact moment. Like take time to process, think through things, do research, talk to people who have maybe been in similar situations and take time to make that decision. Because once you make a decision like that, there's no, there's no going back. Mm -hmm. Um, So we were, we spent several hours there. Greg and I remember we went home and um, the first thing we did was we called Greg's mom um, and, you know, let family members know what was going on. And then I immediately went to Facebook and I typed in twin to twin transfusion and I looked for a twin to twin transfusion Facebook group because I had a lot of experience with these Facebook groups from when we were going through infertility treatments. So a lot of these, um, there's some incredible groups on, on Facebook that I was able to join. And that's how I problem solved a lot of my, um, a lot of my infertility issues mm-hmm. through Facebook and Instagram. So joined a twin to twin transfusion Facebook group. I posted exactly what was going on and immediately all of these women started responding, sharing their experience, sharing their journeys. And um, a few people sent me direct messages on Facebook and someone sent me a message to this woman, Carolyn, who had been through a very similar experience, basically the exact same experience. She also happened to have gone to the same hospital and the same doctor as me. So within 24 hours, I was on the phone with her and I was on the phone um, with, uh, oh, this was the other crazy thing that happened. A week before I was, we found out about the twin and twin transfusion, I had the television on and there was a commercial for, um, for the hospital for Columbia Presbyterian. And there was a woman talking about her experience having twin and twin transfusion and the doctor at the hospital saving her babies. And it just so happened to be the doctor I was already going to. And I had said to my husband and my mother-in-law, God forbid anything happens in our pregnancy, at least we're at the right hospital and at least we're going to the right doctor. Right. So I had been saying to my doctor, I kept saying, I saw the commercial. This was me in my panic. I saw the commercial. I know you can save my baby. <laughs> and he was like, okay, Stephanie. <laughs> so um, I ended up getting connected through my business mentor. Her book publisher happens to be the woman who was in the commercial. Oh my God. So within 24 hours from the Facebook group and through someone that I know I'm connected with two people who had been to my doctor who had positive outcomes and they spent hours on the phone with me. And it was actually much, much more helpful for me to speak to them being through going through the situation than like hearing about the medical procedures from the doctor, if that makes sense. When you looked at the journey ahead of you with the twin to twin transfusion, did they tell you the options for surgery for the termination of, of one of the babies. And when did you decide to move forward with the, with the surgery? Yeah. So um, it was a, I believe it was a Monday. I had that appointment and we found out. And then we went back on that Friday to check and see what the progression was and what was happening. And um, at that appointment on that Friday, you know, I was just praying for a miracle. They were going to say, oh, it's reverse. Everything is fine. Right. But that wasn't the case. It still looked really bad. Um, and our baby, Emmy, who who passed, she her fluid level was like at one. Like she had almost no fluid. And then Molly had all of the fluid at that point. So um, so we knew it was not, not a good situation. And 
my doctor had said, you know, we can do the surgery today. Um, we, you can choose still, we still didn't know what we were going to do. You could still elect to do the, um, the reduction today. He said, I said, can we wait? Can we like see what happens? Can we wait until next week? He's like, you know, you can wait until Monday, but, um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if you've lost one or both of them by then. And I just couldn't make the decision of what to do that day. Again, it was Friday afternoon. I felt like I needed more time to think about it. We were back in that same boardroom. I called Carolyn on the phone again, the woman who, one of the women who I was connected to. And she, you know, had sat in that exact same room before she was, I was like, how did you decide what to do? Because she was being told the exact same things and she elected to do the, to do the surgery. And she was told, you know, there was not going to be a good chance that they, both of her babies would make it because my doctor didn't feel that there was a good chance they would both survive the surgery. And then at the end of that doctor appointment, I said to him, is there even a chance? Like, do you think there's even a chance? And he said, well, there's a chance. And I said, okay, then that's what we're going to do, but we're going to wait. I want to wait until next week. Like I just, something inside my body didn't feel right about doing the surgery in that moment right then. I just, couldn't do it. And so you did move forward with the surgery next week, the following we week. We did on that Monday. Now I will say we left the, we left the hospital on Friday afternoon because we were there for hours, like just going back and forth, talking about what to do, trying to figure out what, what the options were, talking, making calls. And um, we got home and then I had a bit of a panic attack when we got home. Like, did we make the wrong decision? Maybe we should have done this today. God forbid we wait until Monday and, and now they're, they both haven't made it. And I had asked for my doctor's cell phone number right before um, we left the appointment. So he gave me a cell phone number. So I text him and I said, is there, any, can we actually do the surgery today? Can we come back? And he actually tried to see like, if it was possible to make it happen because right. I just felt like, Oh my God, what if I made the wrong decision? And then he called me back. He's like, look, it's Friday evening. Now I, there's just not the right people here right now to do the surgery properly. He's like, I tried. And then at that point, I just accepted, okay, my first instinct was to wait until Monday. We're just going to go with that. And it's going to, it's going to be okay. And that weekend, I just did everything I could to stay positive and to prepare myself and my body to be able to to get through the procedure on that Monday. But I was terrified. And Stephanie, at this point, were both girls still with you? Yes. At this point. Yes. yes. And yes. when did you, you, you shared a little bit about Emmy passing and tell us about that part of your journey and when that yes. happened. So we went back for the um, twin to twin transfusion procedure on that Monday. And um, it was a very, very traumatic experience. But at the end of the procedure, both Molly and Emmy were still alive. So that evening you stay over at the hospital and the next morning you go up for an ultrasound to check on them to see if the surgery worked. And that's actually when we found out was the next morning uh, that Emmy did not have a heartbeat anymore. And I knew right away when they started doing the scan, because at that point I had just gotten very good at <laughs> knowing how they're reading the scans and their reactions. And I could see everything that was going on. And I, and I saw right away, she didn't have a heartbeat and I just started crying and, and I turned to Greg and I said, we, we at least we tried, we, we tried, we did whatever we needed to do to try to save both of them. And that gives me so much peace knowing that that was, that was her decision. That was not, that was not ours to make. 
And I think with those decisions, you make the best decisions you can based upon the information you have, right? I mean, the whole NICU experience on bed rest, pregnancy, all of those times when you have a high-risk pregnancy, trying to make those decisions are so difficult. And you try to make sure you're making the right choices, you're doing the best you can. And I still remember to this day, uh, someone we spoke to after our daughters were born, we were really struggling with making the right decisions. And he said to us, you're making the best decisions based upon the information that you have. And that is what we always came back to. So now that you've gotten through this, and you all have, have certainly been through so much, how did you navigate your next steps? I mean, how did you talk with the medical team about setting up a birth plan, having both girls, but having knowing that Emmy had passed away, but Molly was still fighting? How'd you do that? It's really interesting because none of that even came up right away. It was a very bizarre experience. So it was like, okay, you lost, they just called it then. You lost your baby B. Go basically go home. <laughs> now we literally go home and I just remember being like what just happened like what do we even do next Mm -hmm. there wasn't that level of support from um from anyone there right away it was a very bizarre experience and I don't know what actually would have happened um had things progressed normally after that um because 48 hours later when I was home I started leaking amniotic fluid. So now I was back at the hospital 48 hours later and we found out that I had ruptured at that point. So it never even, it didn't even become a conversation about Emmy until I was now, until we knew I was going to be admitted inpatient to the hospital. And this is now weeks, weeks ahead. The whole focus now was on just staying pregnant for Molly and, and that, and that was it. And in the hospital, you know, I had ruptured, they, I was being told, you know, your pregnancy is probably ending. I'm now I'm 17 and a half weeks pregnant. You've lost all your amniotic fluid. You're probably going to go into labor. So now I'm at the hospital. Now it's another 24 hours. I hadn't gone into labor. So of course I'm in the hospital and I go to Facebook and I post in the twin to twin transfusion group about what happened. And then women told me to join the PROM Facebook group, which is premature rupture of your membranes. Um, and so now I'm in that group and another woman responds to me and she happened to be in one of the hospital rooms a few doors down oh my goodness. from where I was. What a small world. She same experience, twin to twin transfusion. And then she ruptured both of her um, baby survived the surgery. So she was in the hospital with, with both of them. But, um, so now all these women are telling me, don't listen to the medical team. If they're telling you to end the pregnancy, if you have a heartbeat, there's hope these babies can make it. And I'm seeing all of these stories of all of these women who ruptured early and they were able to stay pregnant by following something called, that's called the, the PPROM protocol. I started drinking a gallon of water every day, taking all of these vitamins, following a certain diet the best I could, trying to eat as many calories as possible. So now I'm educating my doctor and telling him all this stuff. And he had no idea what I was talking about. <laughs> now, you, so you so, went in on bed rest 17 and a half weeks? So I was home. I stayed home on bed rest mm-hmm. from 17 and a half weeks until 23 weeks. Okay. Um, I would just go to the hospital twice a week now for appointments. All right. And then you went into yeah. the hospital for the remainder of your bed rest yeah. after 23 weeks. And you were able to carry Molly with her heart beating away until yeah. when was she born? 
She was born 33 weeks, six days. I was induced. Um, and I probably could have stayed pregnant longer, but at that point, uh, because when you're ruptured, the risk of infection is, um, it's more risky to stay pregnant than to induce at that point. So she was already, you know, fully developed and it was time for her to, for her to come out. So the easiest part of my pregnancy was actually the delivery. I'm sure. I'm sure. And I just cannot even imagine the joy that you felt seeing her. And as you look back on that experience, because all this time while you were on bed rest at home and while you were on bed rest at the hospital, you were also still carrying Emmy with you, which I think adds a whole other layer for this entire experience that you and Greg had. Can you talk to us a little bit about how you manage those expectations that you had of delivery and trying to honor Emmy, celebrating Molly? And then looking at the reality of of what that experience was actually like. Yeah, absolutely. So something that we were very fortunate to to have was a support system at the hospital. They have a program at um, New York Presbyterian called the Comfort Care Program. And being part of that program, I was able to have access to um, social worker, child life specialist, um, and a few other uh, head nurse, neonatologist, and this team, like they were our dream team. They became our family. Uh, They were really able to help us through the entire process of understanding what the delivery could be like when delivering both a baby that's born alive and a baby that is not. Um, And we were able to meet with them even before I went inpatient to talk about um, what what different birth plans and what, what things could look like. And then once I was inpatient, um, the team would come see me every single week. It actually almost felt like every single day, someone from the team would come pop in and check in. So I really had that support system. Um, and then we'll go back to Facebook groups again. I joined um, a Facebook group of women who had also lost a twin um, in utero and asked, you know, was trying to learn from their experiences about what could happen because my understanding was when you lose a um, baby, you know, between like 17 and 20 weeks, sometimes when you deliver, the baby still looks like a baby when you deliver. And sometimes the baby can be reabsorbed into the placenta and the baby is no longer there. And it was, it was tough because we didn't know what, how Emmy was going to be when she was born. And I had a long time, you know, leading up to the delivery to really process and just accept that she might be born looking like a baby. We might never get to see her that whatever happens, it's going to be okay. And we'll just do the best that we can do. And that was the mentality that that I had to have. So I didn't have these expectations of this whole you know, ceremony and all of these other things that, that, um, I, you know, thought could happen or maybe would want to happen. And in reality, were you able to get through that? How did you get through that? So what ended up happening, um, was the actual birth of Molly was so, I mean, while it was, while it was probably the easiest part of the pregnancy because we didn't have any complications. Um, I mean, of course she had, she was taken away and taken to the NICU, but I already knew that was going to happen. So that was expected. Um, What ended up happening was we delivered Molly and then delivered the placenta. And I remember the doctors were, you know, going through the placenta, like looking to see if they could, could find her. 
And they had, they came to tell me like, it looks like she had been, you know, reabsorbed into the placenta. And there was just so much commotion with Molly being born at the same time that, and, you know, I had been induced the night before I hadn't slept. I it was just such a whirlwind. Um, but I do remember I did not feel well after all the doctors and nurses had left the room. I really didn't feel well. I was extremely nauseous. And I had asked that the doctor come back in to do another ultrasound just to show me that she definitely wasn't in there anymore, that we didn't miss anything because I was like so scared that what if she's still in there and you missed her and they listened to my wishes and what I asked for and they came in, they did another ultrasound and they showed me like she's not in there. Um, So that was helpful for me to at least know because I was emotional and scared. Absolutely. And I think what's important about that to share with others is asking right? Open communication, talking with your medical team, asking them the things that you would really like to see, which is, is so helpful for medical teams to support you in that way by granting your wishes and making sure that you feel comfortable. Now, as you and Greg have been navigating this whole path, what impact did you see it having on him? I mean, how did he do through this? I know he's not here to share his story himself, but, but can you talk to us a little bit about it? Yeah, what you saw? I mean, it was it was very very hard on him because Greg just felt so so helpless, and he would tell me like it was just so hard watching how sad I was. Like when I was home on, I mean, it was like every single appointment it was from one bad thing to another that was even worse, and me just being hysterical. But even through my hysterics and being so upset, I still kept problem solving. And he saw that, but he didn't want to see me in pain. And, you know, he was, he was the support person. Like he did, he did everything for us during that time, you know, from cooking, getting all the groceries, ordering food, driving to the appointments, taking care of our dog, going to work. Like he was, you know, carrying a lot of weight and he felt helpless at the same time because it was not going on in his body. And Mm -hmm. he was terrified and he was scared and you know he he struggled a lot and you know I think now what you know almost a year and a half two years later he's first starting to be able to get back to himself again Mm -hmm. yeah we talk about that with dads a lot and the impact that all of this has on them and did you have a lot of family and friends support as well while you were on bed rest yeah, so um, Greg's mom and, and um, stepdad lived close by, so they were so helpful. And his mom, like when Greg would go to work, his mom would come in and be with me because I couldn't really be, you know, when I was home on Better's, couldn't really be walking around and doing much. Um, so she was so amazing. And then, my gosh, my friends were just absolutely incredible and my biggest cheerleaders. And, and I had been sharing my whole journey through Facebook and Instagram from my you know, fertility journey through all the complications of my pregnancy and not only my, you know, close friends who I, you know, know in real life, but all of my friends and cheerleaders on social media, I had this whole team of people just cheering us on and being there for us every single step of the way. And my friends were coming to visit in the hospital and when I was home on bed rest and sending so much food and um, was having a support system and team is just so, so important. When people are going through this experience, I think they have trouble asking for help or they don't know what they need, right? Yep. When people offer and say, well, just tell me what you need. Just, I'll, yep. I'll be there if you need, or do you need me to bring food? And they ask questions versus 
just moving forward and doing something for others. What was something that stood out for you that really meant a lot that your family or friends did for you? I would say because I was that way, I'm like, I don't need anything. I'm fine. I don't need anything. Um, because it's almost more trouble to think about in those moments what you actually need. One, you don't really know what you need. And two, your brain is just so totally foggy when you're going through <laughs> all of this. You can't even think about what you need. So it's easier just to say you don't need anything. Right. Um, but I mean, the things that we always need, health cleaning, um, food, Dessert. <laughs> and it was great just when people a, would just do it, right? They'd show yeah, up at just, your door with it, food just send or it. Yeah. something for the one you. thing something that was hard for me that um and again I'm not saying to not do this, but when I when we lost Emmy, a lot of people did send flowers, which was so sweet and so amazing. But it made like I would then start crying just looking at these flowers every day because then it was a reminder to me that she wasn't here. So then I had to re learn to reframe my thoughts and it was like you know, these are beautiful. She would love them. Molly loves them. And just mm-hmm. reframing things that would get me upset. Um, but that was just something personal for me, but everyone's different. Some people would love to get flowers. Um, but I would say that if you have a friend or a family member who has gone through a loss or is going through a hard time, don't worry about doing something that they, um, they might not like just do something because it's better. I would say it's better than nothing. And don't be scared to reach out. Love that. Totally agree with that. That's really good advice. And now you and Greg have experienced the NICU. You've experienced the love and loss in the NICU and also your fertility journey. What for others going through that, what recommendations or advice do you have based upon what you all learned during that journey? And how would you encourage others to really speak up for themselves? I mean, so much of your story that you've shared today, it's the research that you did. It's the groups that you joined. It's other parents who you learned what happened for them. And then you turned around to ask questions about it. I mean, you were very, you were working really hard to be an advocate for your girls, for your family. So what's your, what's your biggest piece of advice for others? Yeah. I mean, I would say starting with the infertility process, something that I believe from everything I learned in my experience is there's no such thing as unexplained infertility. There's always a reason something is happening. And if you are working with doctors who don't know the answers and say something is unexplained, go find another doctor who's willing to put in that time and do the research to figure out how to get to the bottom of it, because there are answers out there. Could it be that you might not be able to get pregnant because of something that that could be the case, but get to the bottom of it. So you know that information can make the best decision for yourself and for your body. Just, just keep researching and asking questions and learning from others. Um, My biggest piece of advice for anything that you're going through, whether it's infertility or a complicated pregnancy or being in the NICU is you have to be your, your own best advocate and to find a doctor that you trust and feel comfortable with and will always advocate for you and is okay with you researching and looking for answers too. And finally, if something doesn't feel right, be sure to trust the voice that's inside of you. And lastly, just always hold on to hope. You just have to have that hope inside of you because if you start to lose that hope, it's hard It's hard to keep moving forward. You just have to hold on to something. Love that. Thank you so much for that advice. Now, most importantly, how's your <laughs> sweet girl doing? 
What's she, she up amazing. to these days? <laughs> she is trying to walk. She can walk in her, um, like a little assisted walker. So she, she's getting close. She's cruising everywhere. She has four teeth that have already come through, a fifth one that has just broken through over the past two days. So she's been a little cranky teething, but she is uh, a ball of energy. She's always smiling. She's the happiest little thing. And I thank God every day. And I'm so grateful that I listened and we listened to to our gut and we trusted our heart and we held on to hope and stayed positive because if you don't stay positive, if you don't allow yourself to stay positive and think positive through these experiences, it's, it's very hard. So we are very lucky and very blessed and, and she's the best. Wonderful. Stephanie, thank you so much for being here today. I am grateful that our paths crossed and I'm uh, really appreciate you sharing your story with everyone. Thank you so much. And for anyone listening, feel free to to reach out to me if you have, have any questions or want to connect. Um, I personally use Instagram and feel free to send me a DM at Steph Jill Carton and I'm happy to connect with anyone. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Stephanie. Thank you.